Climbing mountains is an international sport that has lately found its second breath. The old alpinists, whose mecca was Switzerland, the Himalayas, have given way to a newer breed. This is Norway, enjoying its brief, mysterious summer, when, according to Scandinavian legend, the trolls came out from under the hill to guard the peaks and frighten children. In central Norway, there is a massif called Trolltind, which has a rock face until quite recently, only to be gazed at in fear and wonder, photographed but never conquered. The trolls watch from their ledges and laugh at strangers. Summer, the glacial valleys in the shadow of Norway's great mountains are filled with snow. The traffic along them is light. Tourist Norway is to be found in the fjords, or to the increasing number of climbers from all over Europe, the peaks. Colin Cho Brooks from Oldham. Steve Bancroft, Leeds. Chris Gibb, Skipton. In June of 1980, these three drove to a meet up above the snow valleys with a young Norwegian climber, Hans Christian Dossier. Hello, Hans. Hi. How are you doing, Hi, Steve. Nice to see you. Hello. All right. That's nice weather, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. How long has it been like this? A lot of week, yeah, it's pretty good, so conditions are all right. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's some snow up there, but, well, it's all right. Okay, uh, should we get on the way? Yeah, get let's get up there. Okay. Mm. We've got a second. Mm. Okay, let's go. These four men have climbed all over Europe and America. They are at the top of their sport, and their names are familiar to anyone in the game who follows news of first ascents. Their particular skill is in free climbing. The three Englishmen know each other reasonably well, and they have all met the Norwegian before. Bancroft is the quiet one. Gibb, the extrovert, has another job he's going to have to do in addition to climbing. The man whose comment you will hear most is Cho Brooks. The first time I went to Scandinavia was, was in winter. Hans had then just climbed the troll wall and spent 13 days on it and wanted to go back and do it free in summer. That was where all this stemmed from, yeah? the idea of, a, of first of an ascent and then wanting to make a film of it.
In the last century, a British peer, the Duke of Davenport, in search of the best salmon fishing in Europe, found this valley, liked it, and bought it. At the head of the valley, unremarked by the fishing parties of the 19th century, is Troll Wall, nearly always in shadow, and for only a few weeks of the year free of snow and ice. It looks, to an innocent, out of the question as a place to climb. This was also the considered opinion of most climbers, who photographed it, sighed, and passed on by. The highest rock face in Europe, a mile from its lowest point to the top. The route, and to give the scale, the Eiffel Tower inset. This is a film record of a coveted first ascent by a route graded extreme, shot as it happened. It is also a film which gives some idea of the business of making movies on a vertical face, quite as high as most high streets are long. Yeah. Well, we'll sort it out. Sitch, right? or, uh, well, I'm going to have a, a bit of trouble with these harnesses, you know. For the full fifth member of the ascent was the cameraman, Sid Peru. He was facing the most dangerous and exacting commission of his career. On the first day, he conferred anxiously with Chris Gibb, who was going to assist with sound recording. Over 120, eh? Still, with all this to worry about, Sid, you won't be bothered about all the expanse of air. <laughs> I, wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that, Chris. No way. <laughs> the three climbers who would have to lead the party for perhaps as long as a week, sleeping there on the face, if necessary, in slings, were watching all this a bit thoughtfully. It became apparent, like, just how much rotten gear we'd have to cart up there. It's an incredible amount of stuff. No. Of course, you start cutting down on this, that, and the other. Apart from having all the hard work to climb the wall, you've got sleeping gear for everybody, spur clothes for people, and then all the, the tremendous amount of film equipment you've got to reckon on hauling this stuff for three and a half thousand feet. So we're cutting down frantically on on what to take, throwing stuff out right, left and centre. Well, that's all the gear in your When I was on Mount Kenya last year, we were carrying twice as heavy packs as this. Oh, we could double that when it came up. Joan Gibb and her daughter Joanne and Eva, Cho's girlfriend, will keep the base camp open and man a radio link. The weather is the crucial element. In free climbing a face as colossal as this, you want dry rock and clear skies. Remember, the last aided climb of Troll took 12 days and used up hundreds of pittons hammered into the rock. Unlike a Himalaya expedition, there is no direct leadership, nobody in command. The climb divides itself into three separate problems. The rock itself, the weather, and the filming.
going from that And the next morning, the weather that had been so good suddenly changed. It rained. They were keyed up and ready to go for it. And the clouds that guard Troll almost all year round clamped down. There were a lot of tight lips. We'd been there a week with the glorious weather and uh, not set hand on rock yet. I was, I was frustrated and, and worried about not, not doing the climb at all. There's lots of people go out there, never even see the wall. Climbs right down, it pours down for weeks and weeks, you know. We'd only got three weeks and then the, the lads would have to go home, you know. There was a fair chance that we might not be able to do the climb at all, never even get on the rock. On Friday the 13th, the clouds had lifted off the mountain, and although it wasn't clear skies, they decided to go. From a mile away, the face looked in good condition. So, day one of Troll Wall. They rose at six and quickly packed their food and water in haul bags, each weighing over 50 pounds. Inside, sleeping bag, ropes, climbing equipment, stoves, bat hammocks and film stock. Everything they took was paired to the minimum, but nothing essential could be overlooked. The climb was open-ended as to time. For example, if just one of those cracks became a watercourse, if there was just a few metres of utter smoothness on the way, it could add a day. Peru's filming had added another imponderable. No such ascent of this severity had ever been attempted with a team of five before. They said their goodbyes without being really sure what the next week of their lives could bring. To give some idea of the scale, that river is 150 feet wide, but already 1,700 feet below us. The base camp is invisible, and when you get up underneath it, the three and a half thousand feet face that completes the vertical mile looks absurdly foreshortened. Romsdal's quite a big place, and if you've just come from England, you can't grasp the scale when you first get there. The walk up to the bottom of the wall doesn't look very far at all. In actual fact, it's a real slog. So um, there are a few surprises in store for some of the lads. Right, the preliminaries are over. Climb starts here.
It was supposed to be swift and easy, and it wasn't. Joe Brooks. These introductory slabs that look insignificant from down at the camp compared with the wall. A band of rock that uh, doesn't look really big from the ground, but is in actual fact like five full pitches. Uh, and not very steep, but they're as long as some of the biggest cliffs in England. The face here was notorious for rockfalls, and the equipment was dragged up in a very tense atmosphere. The clouds had come down, and everybody's ears were strained for the rattle of loose boulders that could signal a fatal accident. It was a real pain hauling these sacks up there, up the introductory slabs, because you, you have overhangs and corners that they, they're sticking in and catching in. And this is what took most of the time, getting the sacks up there. The problem of sack hauling seemed to loom very large then. It seemed to be a, a bigger problem than it actually was. I can see why the lads who, who hadn't been on a big wall before were, were feeling very dubious about, about continuing after this first day because it was easy climbing and we were supposed to do this very fast. But the fact that the, the sack island was so difficult and it took us so long, there was even talk of going down actually because the weather had clagged right in there. From the base camp, Troll Wall was obliterated most of the afternoon. Hello, John, are you receiving me, over? Yeah, receiving you okay, over. A, a bit of slow job here. Um, very slow, in fact. I think we'll be on the face about a month. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> just starting to rain a bit now, and uh, you should... Uh, Sid says he's going to go and tell the weather forecasters to stuff themselves <laughs> because they're wrong. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> over. By eight in the evening, the climbers had had enough. That night, it was agreed among the five that if conditions did not improve next day, they would abandon. Oh, it's good the next bit. It's a bit down. This was a difficult thing for the three lead climbers to agree to, for, left to themselves with less equipment, they might have gone on regardless. Peru's problem of filming had added to the difficulties with the weather, and the real climbing was yet to come. They were lucky. By nine it was crystal clear and the rock was dry. All right, I'm off then. Joe Brooks led out from the bivvy on the first of the day's pitches. A full pitch in climbing is 150 feet, the length of a rope. The lead will rotate between Brooks and Dossieth for five pitches. Well, on the first ascent, the Swedish lads used a lot of points of aid, used banging pittons in and hanging onto them, you know, because they thought it was too difficult to, to free climb, to, to use just the rock. 
Um, Hans also used a lot of it in winter, but he reckoned that you'd be able to climb it free because there's, there's so many cracks, it's such a continuous crack line. Yeah, it don't look too bad up here, Steve. I just move left a bit and got this groove here. As free climbers, the only safeguard they have is little bits of metal, which could, in the event of a fall, save their life. These are removed by the second as he comes up. They're really no more than temporary wedges for the rope runners, jammed into cracks. On day two, the sack hauling was less frustrating, but physically much more demanding than the bumps and jerks of the previous day. Dragging dead weight with all your force, while suspended on a wire trace and runner, which lead out from a chock of metal jammed into a likely-looking crack, takes strength as well as nerve. Dossieth demonstrates the technique. Those who watched from across the valley saw only the tiniest dots. All day, until ten at night, their friends seemed to move in agonizingly slow time. Easy enough from there to stop thinking of them as human elements at all, and to gaze instead at the mountain. 
He says he's okay, but he's, uh, we don't know that sure yet. <laughs> um, are you going to call again before you go to sleep or what? Over? Yes, yeah, we'll give you another phone, yeah, before we, uh, we'll go Okay, love, then. Over and out for now. Day three, and at daybreak the promise of good weather conditions. This ledge was known to be the best bivvy of the climb. When they got here on the previous night, they shoveled snow off and slept exhausted. Troll Wall was first climbed in the 50s by the English, the Rimmen route. Others followed, all on artificial aid, culminating in the Swedish route. For free climbers, this ledge was the last real certainty. The slight measure of protection afforded by climbing in a corner, as it were, was over. Up ahead, the total exposure of the Great Wall. Right, you're away. 
Okay, I'm... Huh? All right, my boy. Taking a bit, Hans. Gib was thoughtful that morning. Dossieth had complained of a headache and sickness, and as Bancroft set off on this pitch, sounding the route, the party were tensed up by what might happen if the Norwegian were to fall really ill. When you come to the top of this tremendous wall, you traverse left onto the face proper, and then the exposure really hits you. Because on the first day you're climbing in a corner, you, you don't really feel the exposure. Dossieth took off his helmet to clear his head, determined not to give place as the lead on this pitch. Gibb was understandably frustrated. Only the leader climbs free on a film descent like this. The time taken to haul equipment for a team of five is something these top climbers aren't used to. If you watch this next sequence carefully, you can see the problem. Cho Brooks and 200 pounds weight of gear stalled for an hour. Now watch for the orange sack to his left. 150 feet above, Bancroft, Peru and Gibb are trying to free that jammed hall sack. It should have pendulumed in a minute, but didn't. Another full pitch ahead, Dossieth, the only free climber.
After three days of sustained climbing, with only snatched intervals of sleep, they were committed. It was always possible to go down, but what kept them at it was the pride and perhaps the lunatic obstinacy of the dedicated athlete. The trolls and the climbers were all square at half-time. highest rock face in Europe, a mile from its lowest point to the top. The route, and to give the scale, the Eiffel Tower inset. The climbers, Cho Brooks, Oldham. Steve Bancroft, Leeds. Hans Christian Dossieth from Norway. The cameraman, Sid Peru. And the sound recordist, Chris Gibb, both from Skipton. By the evening of the third day, pinned to the face of the wall, neither up nor down, they were here. Centre screen, five tiny dots in the Norwegian landscape. The challenge Troll Wall presented was to climb it by the so-called Swedish route free, that is to say, without artificial aid. Dossieth leads off at 9am. Free climbing means that, although the climber is safeguarded up to a point from falling, he does not depend upon any equipment to help him up the face. It is, as near as makes no difference, an unaided vertical ascent. foreshortening of the camera lens is deceptive and is shared by the climber's eye. That horizon is a full 1,500 feet ahead.
2,500 feet below, in the floor of the valley, the base camp waits and worries. If the weather clamps down, the ascent will be abandoned, and nobody has really worked out what could happen then. By radio link, they already know that Dossieth has been ill. Since their first day on the wall, the climbers have been quite invisible to the little circle of tents in the valley. By shortly after midday, Brooks and Dossieth had established themselves on the terrace. As lead climbers, they were exhilarated and blissfully ignorant of what was going on below. Gibb laboured up behind them. It was raining and the schedule for the climb was already broken. But the terrace did offer a slight bonus. What looks from the camp by the river a fleck of snow is in fact a very good bivouac area indeed. Roomy, easy to excavate and relaxing. A little later on, when things grew crowded, Peru even risked taking off his rope to film more easily. The terrace was about the size of a single-decker bus, but canted at an angle of 45 degrees. To make it habitable, it would need digging out, and there was the tedium of hauling up the equipment. But it looked good, and gave the first three up ideas. Things were difficult, the weather was lousy, they might not find a better place. Time was pressing. Although it never grew truly dark on Troll, there was only so much physical effort to be given on a face like this. Between the arrival of the leads and the reunion of the whole team, a couple of exhausting hours had passed, and a council of war was necessary. There was no chance all of them making their way to as good a bivy area on that day. The terrace is the Ritz on Troll. The alternative was going on to sleep in bat hammocks or staying put. They decided to stay put and excavate the ledge while the lead climbers found the route and roped it for the support party so that things could go faster. Dossieth and Brooks set off to climb and rope another three complete pitches. The single-decker bus we've been talking about is the larger speck of white in the middle of your screen. OK, ready? OK, climbing. Go on, lad. <coughs> All right. 
Once Brooks and Dossieth were released by this plan, their real skill became apparent. The two friends had cemented their partnership in the Yosemite Valley in the States the previous year. Between them, they made the 450 foot they put on seem child's play. The fact that you're making a film and lugging all the gear up, you got five people instead of two, slows things down a lot, obviously. And it's it's totally different than being alone on the wall as a, as a, a team of two. And just going as fast as possible with very little gear. really loose here. <clears throat> Hello, Joan, are you receiving me? Over. Hello, Chris. Hello. Hello, what's, uh, have you had a forecast down there? We've had a bit of rain today, uh, earlier on, we're just drying out now. There's still a lot of low cloud about and uh, it still looks a bit unsettled. Have you heard anything over? It rained for a short time this afternoon but it's fared up down here and apparently um, it's supposed to be dry until Saturday. Over. Until Saturday? Oh, so that gives us quite a few days to get up then. Alright, thanks. I just hope it does stop fine otherwise we're going to be stuck here on this uh, broken down ledge for a while. Um, now then, what's the tea tonight, over? Oh, I don't know what you're having, but we've had boiled eggs, over. Boiled eggs? Sounds disgusting. Well, bully beef and fish tonight, I think. Over. Well, I'm glad I'm not there with you, over. Yeah, we'll go down there eating boiled eggs, actually. <laughs> yeah, OK, love. Is this your last transmission for tonight, over? Yeah, it probably is. I think so. I think we'll be turning in shortly because we want an early day in the morning. Over. Okay then, love. Now take care of yourself and don't you wonder about with no rope on like Sid. <laughs> and have a good night.
They slept with the absolute necessity of not turning over. Dossieth was forced out onto a spur where sleep might seem impossible. As the face increases in height, so does the overhang. On the fifth day, Dossieth and Brooks are in friendly rivalry for the most extreme pitches of the ascent. Brooks opened this route the night before and is content to prussic up. But Dossieth, although he is technically seconding, free climbs his way up this particular pitch just for the hell of it. In Norway, Hans is perhaps... Uh, he's definitely in the top two or three climbers there. He's an exceptionally good free climber. He was, he was also in the States last year, climbing the hardest routes over there. And uh, he, he's very keen on, on the, the modern idea of free climbing, rather than using... You know, aid to get up a route, getting up a route in any fashion. Good route. Good pitch. Well, the idea I got of Norway before I went there was there are a lot of old fogies like. There aren't too many young climbers there. But the ones that there are have travelled a bit and they're every bit as, as keen and good as lads around the world, you know. You'd leave that. Jeez. Altogether, the grey wall requires 900 feet of ice-cold concentration. Dossieth, Brooks and later Bancroft put on six complete pitches, drawing up the rest of the team behind them. It was the fastest part of the ascent, but also the most extreme, with a degree of exposure that seldom lasts more than a few hundred feet in Britain. 
Yep, I'm all right. As Bancroft takes over the lead, the huge overhang, the roof at the top of your screen, becomes even more menacing. He sees it as we do, foreshortened. It's 200 feet ahead, and his eye calculates the overhang at at least 50 feet. Steve. Yeah? Could you watch the rope, uh, the Duma rope over the end up there too? On a face like this, the foreshortening effect is aggravated for the second and the follow-up climbers by a sense of impatience. They know the route is being opened up by the best in the business. But at the same time, there is a constant fight inside them with irritation, wandering attention, even boredom. The last pitch to the roof, Chobrook's leading. Bancroft is casually leaning back on a knob of rock, looking switched off, with 3,000 feet of empty space immediately under his boots. Hans wasn't sure about this pitch. He'd, he'd seen it in winter, but it's, it, it's, of course it's totally different then. It's covered in ice and snow. And you can't really weigh up the, the free climbing possibilities. It's it's also quite a serious pitch. You have to traverse round to climb, and you go around a very sharp arete. Then you come across some loose blocks in the roof. And in the back of my mind was that if you fell off from this situation, you, there's a, a chance of the ropes cutting, uh, the blocks hitting you. They climbed for 13 hours. At 10 o'clock at night, Dossieth led up Troll Crack, oblivious of the camera, climbing on the last of his strength. But it was cameraman Peru's worst moment. Although he didn't know it until the film was processed, he had picked up a shred of lichen in the camera gate, and he was exhausted. He had spent all day hung out on slings, 
with often the whole weight of the camera, 15 pounds of it, directly on his eye. It seemed to the follow-up party the day would never end. Nobody filmed the filmmaker. 17 hours after recording the departure from the terraces, Peru climbed this pitch, not on the rock itself, but on a rope, swinging free from the rock, dangling out over open space. As he went, he discovered the rope was knotted in two places. He was too tired to care. It was a funny place for Peru to be. His sport is caving. The next morning, with the last of the climb within their grasp, they were shattered and listless. They had conquered the worst the wall could defend itself by, and the resulting feeling was not elation, but anticlimax. Nobody wanted to stir, and yet the summit was only three pitches away. You're right, Hans. Climb in. The rain that had fallen in the night had made the rock wet. When Bancroft led off, he was startled to find the route much more difficult than he had guessed. While he fumbled for a while, Peru was shown the rope to which he had trusted his life the night before. The outer casing and two of the inner cores had frayed away completely. Three men had come up by this rope with no other protection whatsoever. Even at this stage, the trolls that guard the wall had a trick up their sleeve. Brooks prosecking up. Whoa! He was unharmed. The troll wall will undoubtedly be climbed faster, but with no greater skill, in the future. The particular value of this first free ascent of the Swedish route is lodged where it belongs, with the climbing fraternity, its ferociously partisan press, and the critics and theorists who gather wherever climbers are to be found. But it may be years before anyone tries to do what this team did, which was to film as they went.
The Norwegian press put this Yorkshire invasion of Trollwall on the front page. But they appreciated, perhaps better than anyone, what a story it was. In the best traditions of sportsmanship, Dossier, who was born under the mountain, came up first. To an outsider, and on rock like this, who isn't, the amazing thing is that the whole six days were done without any more discipline than the good nature shown by friends who trust each other. Well, I think we were very, very lucky with the climb because it only takes one blank ten-foot section anywhere on the wall and that's it, finished. I mean, it's not a free climb then. And to think that in, in three and a half thousand feet there was continuously holes on which we could climb without using gear. And it's pretty remarkable. Hey, cool. For Peru, the caver cameraman who filmed it all, it was a notable first, but not the summit of his achievement. Nobody can say what that'll be, but he flew direct from this site in Norway to an assignment on Annapurna. There, the game was going to be canoeing. <laughs> 